Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, on today's Bad I Head on Connor Chamber of Toronto Sports Views. We talked about the Raptors' recent struggles, including a 5-5 five and five stretch over the last 10 games and really a team that's struggling with turnovers and struggling offensively overall, despite kind of having everyone back in the lineup for the first time. Then we also talk about the Raptors' upcoming schedule. They have the easiest schedule in the NBA the rest of the season. And what should we really expect from Toronto this far out? You know, the first overall seed is pretty much locked in at this point. However, you obviously want to play your best basketball heading into the postseason. Lastly, we kind of talk about the first round matchup and doesn't matter who Toronto's matched up. Obviously, the team's going to be a favorite against whoever they play, but does that matter that they get the Pistons in the first round or is the Nets more favorable matchup? Me and Connor kind of break that down and give our preference on who we'd like to play. Lastly, we talk about Paul George and whether his comments to Kawhi Leonard mean anything or if it's just people reading into something more than they really should. You can follow Connor at Toronto Sports Views at T-O underscore Sports Views and make sure to check out his podcast available wherever podcast. Hey, Mike. I'm good. How are you? I am good. I just got done watching uh, the Thunder game from Friday night. I actually did not get to watch it live, so just got done watching it. And, you know, obviously a pretty disappointing one from the Toronto Raptors, but things are good other than that. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, uh, you you know, they kind of let it slip away from them at the end, but um, there's positives that can be taken away from it, and and I'm pretty sure that we'll talk about it, but... Uh, that that's something that the Raptors can sort of use as a building block going forward, especially with the ease of schedule, which I know that is definitely something that we'll talk about later on. Right. Let's just go ahead and get into it. So the Raptors have been five and five in their last 10. They played a few without Kyle Lowry, who obviously without him, the team has kind of struggled to find an identity whenever Lowry's forced to miss extended time. What, has been kind of the Raptors' problem the past couple games, or what have you seen that's been the biggest reason for their just mediocre play of late? Um, it, I, I've been trying to put a finger on an issue, but I don't know if it's something that I can directly say is affecting them in the in their last five, ten games. I know you said they're five and five. Um, I thought that they've actually played some pretty good games and just come out with a shitty result. I mean, if if you take a look at the uh, at the OKC game, the first game that they played, I don't think that that game should have ever went to overtime. I think that they just got some bad bounces and a couple of of calls that didn't really go their way. Um, obviously, uh, in the last OKC game, 
Uh, that one is kind of, they, they didn't really close the game out well. And I think that that might be something that they need to be doing going forward is just closing out games better. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, something that is with the team, but with no Kyle Lowry, obviously it makes a difference. Thank God that Fred Van Vliet is back in the lineup because if this was Jeremy Lin running the show and the starting unit, I think that there would be a lot more angry Raptors fans, a lot more Raptors fans saying that this team is broken and that they'll go nowhere in the playoffs and overreact. So uh, Fred Van Vliet's been kind of a, a nice steady presence with Kyle Lowry kind of being in and out. Um, so I think that I think that the big factor really is just health. Once they're healthy, we haven't really seen this team for much of the season play at a full unit. Uh, once they get healthy and once they have uh, everybody that is in a Raptors uniform on the floor, uh, I think that we're going to see something that uh, is pretty special with this team. So just get get healthy, get rested, do as a low manage as many loads as you want and get that get us there to the playoffs because I think that that's ultimately uh, what is going to help the Raptors team going forward. Something you brought up is the results haven't been as indicative of their play. And over the last 10 games, the Raptors have actually a net rating of 5.0, which is seventh in the NBA. So that speaks to what you said and that they're playing well in just a couple of bad breaks over the past couple games. Yep. And net rating is more indicative of a team's actual play on the court than their record is. With the health, as you mentioned, do you think it's a problem that the team really hasn't gotten to play at full strength all season? As they try to build their chemistry over these last couple games, do you think it's important that they get everyone healthy and at least get some time under their belt with the full new roster that they've accumulated right now? Um, I think it's important. Uh, the The nice thing, though, about the Raptors is that, um, you know, like I said, we haven't been healthy for most of the year. That's that's not breaking news. This isn't like I'm, I'm tweeting something out that everyone's saying, wow, what an insight. No, everyone knows we haven't been healthy for most of the year. But with that being said, it's usually just been either one or two players out that are that are significant. Like like Fred Van Vliet was out for five weeks or, or when it was JV, he was out for four or five weeks. So it hasn't been a massive clump or group of players that were out for a significant period of time. Uh, I think that that helps the Raptors in terms of chemistry and learning how to play with one another because if it's one player coming in the lineup as opposed to two or three coming back from injury, I think that that makes a lot more of a difference. Uh, I don't know if you necessarily agree with that, but I just think that with one player coming back as opposed to a bigger group, uh, they already kind of have an understanding of how to play with one another, and then that group of people can help the individual um, climatize better with how the group plays and their flow and their style of play because the starting unit and the bench unit are almost like two different teams in a sense where they play a little bit of a different style compared to each other's units. So when coming back in a, a respective role, uh, it helps to kind of climatize better to that unit. And I think that with a major majority of the healthy roster for a starting unit or for a bench unit, it'll help the individual get back and used to the rhythm of play that they were playing at before they got hurt. That's a great point. It, it hasn't been, you know, multiple superstars or mo multiple important players missing significant time together. The only caveat I would kind of add in there is that Mark Gasol hasn't spent a ton of time on the court with yeah. Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry. And especially if he's going to be starting during a majority of the playoff matchups and 
to me, it's still questionable whether we'll see him start against either Milwaukee or uh, the Boston Celtics, depending on when we get there. But he's most likely going to be the starter against the 76ers and against Embiid. So for me, integrating him into the lineup and kind of getting used to playing with Gasol and rather than at times it still feels like they're force feeding him and trying too hard almost to incorporate him into the offense. So I think that that's important disclaimer that he does need to spend some time with both Kyle Lowry and Kawhi on the for sure on the floor just so he can get used to more of a three point spacing and kind of facilitate a role as opposed to playing through him. But other than that, you make a great point about these guys have all spent time with each other and maybe it's not all five of with each other at the same time. However, Kyle has spent plenty of time with Kawhi and like player Kyle spent plenty of time with Pascal and those sorts of things. Yes, they haven't put it all together on the court, but they have played with each other a good deal. Yeah. And and again, like you think about that and you say, okay, if one person's out for five, six games, like we're kind of seeing with Kyle Lowry and we're going to assume that he might be out for a few more games and then come back for a couple more regular season games to get loose before the playoffs. I don't think that his absence really hinders his chemistry or his feel with the starting lineup because he's already developed that over the course of the year. And I think that he has had enough playing time with Kawhi despite his low management. I think that he's had, obviously, a ton of time with uh, Pascal Siakam and Danny Green because they've, I think they've each missed one game this year. Uh, each. They've each missed one game. And uh, having that consistency uh, in the starting lineup at least I think will help Lowry get back into a rhythm the only positions that have really been fluid are Kawhi Leonard when he's out for his low management or the center position when they've been on this sort of rotation matchup basis Uh, but otherwise I don't think that Lowry will have a problem integrating himself back in once he gets healthy and ready to go for the playoffs so looking at the Raptors rest of their schedule it's it's the easiest in the NBA. I tweeted out something that it's a winning percentage of just above 40% of their remaining opponents. They only have one opponent with a record above 500, and it's the yep. Brooklyn Nets, who are 38 and 36 with the Ooh, toughest scary. remaining schedule. So, yeah. So, there's really no reason for the Raptors to lose other than it just being the NBA where anything can happen on a given day. But what are you looking for specifically over this final stretch here from Toronto? Uh, in my opinion, the first seed is pretty much out the window, three games back, plus you don't have the tiebreaker with Milwaukee. So it would really take you know a Herculean effort in order to get the one seed. I don't think that's very realistic. But what are you watching over the past 10 days? And maybe you disagree with the one seed. No, I completely agree with the one seed. Uh, it's it's going to take a complete collapse from Milwaukee and then the Raptors to essentially win out from here to get even a sniff at a one seed, uh, which I, I've kind of accepted this fate going back to a few weeks ago uh, when we're looking at the remaining of, the remainder of the schedule and seeing what Milwaukee had and what Toronto had. If Milwaukee had an Indiana Pacers type of schedule, that was coming up, I would say, ah, you know what, maybe Toronto can get the number one seed. Maybe they should be playing these games a little bit tougher and and, a little, and, and have a little bit of a shorter leash when it comes to, to bench units. But the one thing that I'm really taking a look at, um, and the one thing that I'll lend credence to for Marcus Gasol's uh, entrance or, or uh, entrance in the starting unit into the bench unit, would be the fact that uh, the assists and and the passing have really increased for the Toronto Raptors. The ball movement has been at an all-time high, and it's something that I love to see. Um, 
championship teams move the ball. They get open shots. If you take a look at Golden State, what have they done so well over their uh, dynasty run? They move the ball, right? You, you, you blink, and the balls move from Durant to Curry to Draymond Green back out to Klay Thompson for a three. So uh, I would like to see the Raptors keep integrating Marc Gasol in with ball movement because I think that he's been a catalyst for this. Uh, he opens the floor a lot, and he his vision with the ball allows players to get into open spots. Um, their their ball movement has been creating these open shots, and that's what's been allowing them to get into these bigger leads in the games. When they get away from ball movement, they go to iso ball, um, aka the Oklahoma City Thunder games. Uh, they start to really lose their momentum, and then th- it feels like the other team can creep back in. So I like to see the Raptors maintain good ball movement for 48 minutes for the entire game. I would like to see it steady from the first quarter to the fourth quarter and not sort of have a break because I think that if you can have really good ball movement and really good shooting, like what Danny Green has been putting up as of late, if you can have those two factors clicking, I think it's going to be very tough to be an out, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in any type of matchup in the NBA playoffs. That's a great point, and with Marcus All coming and playing a lot of the minutes with the bench, what I think that's done is help give Toronto, you know, a wealth of playmaking at all times. So with Lowry on the floor, you have him stabilizing the starters, and with Gasol with the bench, a lot of times he's able to kind of lift the playmaking of that unit. It will be interesting to watch Fred VanVleet work his way back into the lineup. He's had really good chemistry with Gasol in the few games I've watched so far. And it will be interesting to see how the dynamic of him and Jeremy Lin play alongside each other over these next couple games. Obviously, we won't get to see it for a full complement of games as Lowry still works his way back into the uh, lineup from injury. But watching how Lin and Fred Van Vliet play alongside each other, to me, will be one of the most interesting things over the final couple of games here. Right. And uh, Fred Van Vliet coming back, I think that he's surpass my expectations of what he would be in these first few games that he's come back obviously we saw in last year's playoffs uh, when he came back he wasn't necessarily the Fred Van Vliet that we had seen for the regular season and that's not really to be blamed on him he did take a, a decent injury and it's hard to sort of come back and get right back into that rhythm but I will give him kudos for maintaining that level of play and that level of excellence that he has. His shooting has been really good. I think that his vision on the court, the only thing that I would say negative about him is the turnovers. I think that he, if he can just improve a little bit on that with the vision, uh, I, I like what he's trying to do with the ball. He's trying to create chances, but a lot of times uh, the guy's just one step late and he's giving it, coughing it right up to the opponent. So if he can just uh, handle the ball a little bit better, I think that um, I'll be very confident with him moving forward. I still am. Uh, I'm just sort of nitpicking at this point. Um, But I have been really impressed with what I've seen from Fred Van Vliet, especially so early coming back off an injury where he's been out for four four or five weeks. Uh, So it's really really nice to see, and it's going to be a key factor for the Raptors coming into the playoffs. Yeah, he looks like he actually gained some of his legs back over the past. Yes. Sitting out those t- 
those few games, perhaps he was able to, they talked, he's been working on his conditioning. I'm not sure if it's that or if he's been resting more, but he really attacked the hoop in the past, you know, four games since he's come back from injury and really looks livelier attacking the basket than he did early in the season and especially right before his injury. So as the Raptors kind of get ready for the playoffs, Nick Nurse has noted that it's going to be, the plan is at least to have nine players in the rotation. Um, that leaves out a couple of names. So my question to you is one, who do you think the nine players will be? And do you think that that will be the right decision? Okay. So I've, I, I, I kind of took a look at the minutes played from the Oklahoma city thunder game, which was the, at the time of recording this podcast, that's the latest game that's been played. Um, if you look at it this way, obviously there's no Kyle Lowry. So take that into consideration when you take a look at the minutes. So, Fred Van Vliet, 36, Danny Green, 35, Leonard, 37, Siakam, 36, and Marcus All, 28. Um, I think that if you flip Kyle Lowry for Fred Van Vliet, there's your starting lineup right there, just based on minutes from what Nick Nurse is playing. Uh, Ibaka is at 20 minutes, Powell was at 18, OG was at 17, and Jeremy Lin was at 14. Uh, obviously, Jeremy Lin was more out of necessity for being a backup point guard. Uh, to fill that spot, but I think once Kyle Lowry comes back, he slots into the starting lineup, and then Fred Van Vliet goes into the bench unit. So I think that based on those minutes, your um, Nick Nurse will have a rotation of uh, starters being Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, and Marcus All. Obviously, that center position will be a little bit more fluid just based on matchups, like what you said earlier. Uh, I think that Ibaka will get more starting roles in different matchups compared to Marcus Hall. If Marcus Hall, if the Raptors are facing the 76ers, obviously you're going to want Marcus Hall uh, facing Joel Embiid in the starting rotation. But again, completely matchup based. Uh, for the bench, you're going to have Fred Van Vliet, uh, Serge Ibaka, uh, Norm Powell, and OG Ananobi. And then sort of on the bubble, uh, you can see like a Jeremy Lin or Patrick McCaw. Uh, I'm completely okay with that. And that's actually the lineup that I drew up uh, before looking at the minutes. Uh, I, I had the exact starters and bench that uh, Nick Nurse has played based on his minutes. Uh, if it's going to be a nine-ram rotation, I'm fine with that. Uh, just because you have to shorten your bench a little bit in the playoffs, everyone knows this. Uh, and then you can have Lynn and McCaw almost for like spot minutes or if there's foul trouble, uh, you can have them sort of ready to go in case of emergency. But um, the way that the rotation is looking now, I think that those are the right decisions moving forward. Uh, and I'm completely confident uh, with this team and the way it's being constructed right now as it goes in the playoffs. Right. Uh, to me, I guess the surprise is Jeremy Lynn after being brought in probably won't be in the rotation. I agree with the same nine people that you named. And, you know, depending on matchup, I could see maybe Jeremy Lin sliding in for either Powell or OG Ananobi. But at this point in time, he hasn't played well enough to secure a spot in the rotation. Yeah. So if Kyle Lowry comes back, obviously Fred Van Vliet moves to the bench. And to me, you have to cut Lin's minutes in that situation. Lin just hasn't played well as a Raptor. And as much as I think he is due to regress back to his normal shooting eventually, when it comes to the playoffs at this moment, you can't have him in there consistently. As for Patrick McCaw, to me that's more of a that's an easier decision to make. Patrick has shown no ability to play on the offensive end, and 
once you get to the playoffs and teams are really game planning against you, you can't continue to play four on five. It's just too much of a liability. And what I think you'll see is teams start to put their center on McCall if he ever does get in and almost use him as like a center fielder kind of roaming the hoop and basically ignoring Patrick McCall. McCall is shooting his usages in the bottom percentile of all the players at his position in the NBA. And I just don't think you can have that big of an offensive liability on the floor once the playoffs come around. I completely agree. Uh, And it's, it's obviously, you know, I really like the intensity and the attitude that Patrick McCaw brings to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I think that he makes the best of the situations that he's given. Uh, So obviously it's a guy that I cheer for. If he can get his shot down and he can improve on his offensive game, then the Raptors have a legitimate bench piece that they can put in with confidence moving forward. But as of right now, you're completely right. You just can't trust him on the offensive end. And like you said, you can put a center on Patrick McCaw and let McCaw sit wherever, not really worry about him and take a, if McCaw's going to make a shot, you almost sort of live with it in order to eliminate a drive from a Kawhi Leonard or a Fred Van Vliet or someone that's going to attack like a Patrick, uh, Patrick Siakam, Pascal Siakam. Uh, if somebody wants to attack the rim, uh, but you can leave Patrick McCaw on the on the outside and uh, not have to worry about him. Uh, but McCaw does give you really good defensive effort, and he is kind of like a gnat almost in your face whenever you do have the ball. So I can see in like a spot situation if you need a defensive stop, if someone wants to put McCaw in. Uh, but otherwise, I just don't really see a role for him on this playoff rotation moving forward. But again, depending on injuries or stuff, we could see him or foul trouble. But at this point, I just don't see it happening. Right. So he's averaging 5.6 field goal attempts per 36 minutes, which to put in comparison is um, 4.5 less than Danny Green, who's the second lowest on the team, uh, not counting Eric Moreland. So he's shooting significantly less than everyone else. He's not a particularly lethal three-point shooter, so nobody has to guard him out there. And I like Patrick McGall. I like the energy he brings on the defensive side of the floor, and he has the potential to develop into a nice player. He's just not there yet for a team that's at the Raptors level. And like you said, if it comes down to a couple spot minutes here and there as a jolt of energy or if a team hasn't game plan for him, I think that's fine. But when you have teams who are scouting for opponents during the um, <clears throat> prior to the series, they're just going to ignore him from there, and he becomes a bigger liability if teams are planning for him. So as much as I appreciate what Patrick McCall has done for this team, and he's been a solid fill-in, I just don't think he's ready to receive minutes at a playoff level yet. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. For Lynn, what do you think the chances are, if he plays well over this next set of games, that he works himself into the rotation? And if he does, do you think he replaces someone, or do you think that the rotation just increases to five or to ten players? I don't know if he can bump someone out of a spot at this point. Like, would you take away? You would. It would take away probably one of Norman Powell or OG Ananobi. But at this point, I'm not comfortable with Jeremy Lin taking Norman Powell or OG Ananobi's minutes. So I think if Jeremy Lin is to be injected into this lineup. Uh, it would probably just run as a 10-man unit, and I think that you would have uh, Jeremy Lin as the off-ball guard on your bench unit with Fred Van Vliet uh, running plays. Uh, 
I think that Jeremy Lim just fits a better style as an off-ball guard. I think that with him running plays, uh, he doesn't reach his full potential. So maybe uh, maybe Nick Nurse sees that in Jeremy Lin, and then he says, okay, we can try a 10-man unit uh, with Jeremy Lin off-ball, or if it's just to give one of his one of his starters uh, a rest to, to put Lin in as an off-ball guard for a few minutes, but... I think if Jeremy Lin plays in the playoffs and he's actually given minutes, I don't really think it's going to exceed more than 10 to 12 minutes. Uh, I, I just think that it would be more out of a rest necessity role, but I don't think that he's going to take away from anyone's minutes. So it would be a 10-man unit with Lin as the as the two guard uh, on the bench role. That's just how I would see it. I agree with you. I do think that there is some chance in this scenario that you know, with the right matchup, Lynn supplants OG Ananobi. If a team doesn't have a really good, powerful wing score, then OG kind of is jobless out there because yeah. he's a good team defender, but I really think that his value is most impactful when he's able to really lock into a guy. So if you go against a team and, you know, there's no one on the docket right now that kind of comes to mind that isn't a first-round matchup, that I think you could see OG kind of without a job and then it doesn't make sense to have him in there. But at this point in time, the 76ers have plenty of bodies to guard. The Bucs have plenty of bodies to guard, particularly Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I think that OG's going to get first round minute, minutes if only to keep him ready for the opposing rounds when you need him to play a bigger role. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I could see him sort of being... Uh, not not underutilized. I think that's obviously the wrong word, but just not utilized as much in the first round as compared to um, moving forward. Like you said, OG thrives and excels in a role where he is the guy guarding the guy, right? Like if you took a look at the Cavs series last year, we put OG Ananobi on LeBron James. And obviously LeBron's going to get his 20, 25 plus points a game. But OG Ananobi did a really good job in disrupting LeBron James and kind of pissing him off a little bit. Um, I, I think when there's roles like that where he's assigned to, um, it's it's just advantageous for the Raptors to have that in a series against uh, Pistons or a Brooklyn Nets, potentially even Miami Heat. I just don't see that guy where OG Ananobi has to guard. Um when you take a look at more of the big boys, there's guys on that team where you can say, okay, put OG on this guy to limit him. Uh, so I'm completely on board with what you're saying, and that's where I can see Lynn getting more minutes. But as the Raptors progress in the playoffs, as we think that they will, I just don't see a place for Lynn yet on this roster. Maybe I can be turned around in the, in the last 10 games or so coming up. Maybe Lynn starts breaking out and has like 20 points a game, and I, I just look silly saying this, but um, at this point in time, I just don't see it really for Jeremy Lynn unless we're talking about a first-round uh, opponent like that to to kind of ease off for OG and then get him ready for the second, third round. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I I think that you have to play him in the first-round series just, and perhaps you even keep the rotation at 10 during the first-round series in order just to keep everybody ready in case you need them later yep. in the playoffs. Um, speaking of the first-round matchup, is there anyone that particularly 
you know, it doesn't matter who they play in the first round. Obviously, the Raptors are heavy favorites in any series, but there, is there any series that you think would be a little bit harder of a fight that would maybe stretch the game to six rather than five or four? Yeah, the, obviously, like, I, I, I'm going to preface this by saying I don't think that the Raptors are going to lose in the first round. I don't think that there will be a series that goes to seven games. Um, I just don't like the matchup against Detroit, and here's the reason why. Because people think that, like, I might be overreacting. Obviously, game one, when they lost, they didn't have Serge Ibaka. Game two, when they lost, they didn't have Fred Van, v- Fred Van Vliet or Kawhi Leonard. In game three... They didn't have Kyle Lowry or Serge Ibaka. I understand that. I don't think that the Raptors would lose many games. Uh, I, I think that maybe they could beat Detroit in five games. But the reason why I don't like the matchup in comparison to a Brooklyn Nets or a Miami Heat is because Detroit plays an incredibly physical game. Um, and if you, want it, if you want a team to have some longevity in the playoffs, you really don't want to play a physical team in the first round. I'd rather play a Brooklyn Nets team that even could potentially take two games from the Raptors and push it to six, but the series isn't as physical, and the Raptors' bodies just feel a little bit better. Um, Miami Heat don't really scare me at all. They had a healthy team in our last game, and we didn't have Fred Van Vliet or Kawhi Leonard, and we beat them 125-104 to in Miami. Um, they don't concern me in the least bit. I think that we would sweep the Miami Heat. Um, Brooklyn, I could see that series going to six. In Detroit, it would probably go to five. I just don't like the Detroit matchup, and I think that those players elevate their game for their coach, and they'll play with a little bit more of an unnecessary intensity against the Toronto Raptors. And with the physical presence, I just I don't like how it's going to look for Toronto. In that, I could see guys getting banged up and a potential injury happening. Whereas with Brooklyn, I would just see an intense game, but that's not necessarily as physical. So I would take the Brooklyn matchup, even though they might lose an extra game over a Detroit matchup. No, that's a great point. And three games is a small sample size, which you shouldn't judge anything on. Obviously, yeah. But but it's three games that you lost, so there is at least some concern there that you have to look and see, well, we played over 130 minutes against this team and have some results that we can look to. And obviously Detroit is going to play well against Toronto. They present a more unique situation with Drummond and Griffin, kind of that dual big look that once you get to the playoffs, I could see that being slightly more effective than it is during the regular season when the games kind of slow down there a bit. And like you said, I'm not scared of any opponent that the Raptors have to face, and I don't think that they should be particularly worried. And if you are having problems in the first round, then that speaks more to your team than it does the opponent. Yeah. But but with that being said, if all things are equal, I agree with you. I would rather not have the physicality of two big men and the physicality of a Detroit team that is going to be playing hard for Casey. The Nets shoot enough threes that, to me, they can win a couple games just based on, you know, the style of play that they have, and anybody can get hot for a couple games. But I worry less about their ability to really push it to seven-game series and things like that because I just don't think that they have the kind of individual one-on-one player that can score when you really need to. And apologize to D'Angelo Russell, but I just don't think that he's in the same kind of class as Blake Griffin in that respect. So the Heat, like you said, are the easiest. I don't think... That one's very possible. It's looking like they're going to be the eight seed and they'll have to play against the Milwaukee Bucks. But the if I had to choose between Detroit and Brooklyn, I would pick Detroit. 
Uh, I'm sorry, I would pick facing Brooklyn, although I don't think it matters too much. Yeah, I, I agree. Even though, like, going back to what I was saying, even though I think that Brooklyn might have the ability to take two games just based on the shooting, like what you were saying, and the style of their play, I just don't like a physicality perspective of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. And I would agree, I think that Blake Griffin is in a different category than D'Angelo Russell. No disrespect to D'Angelo. You're not even going to win MIP, so stop your <laughs> campaign for MIP. I think it's Pascal's locked up. Um, but in saying that, uh, that, that's it's a young Brooklyn Nets team. Uh, it's a promising Brooklyn Nets team, but they would still need to add another player. I don't think that you can win a championship with or even get out of the East with D'Angelo Russell being your number one. So um, for them, I, I say that's a nice little Cinderella story for the year because everyone was mocking you two years ago. Uh, but I would rather take them in a series than Detroit. I think that both have their own unique storylines anyways because of the history that Brooklyn has with Toronto. And then obviously now with the history, or or recent history, that Detroit has with Toronto with uh, the ties to Coach Casey and the way that they're playing with them. But look, I mean, uh, Toronto won four games in the regular season versus the Washington Wizards before they matched up in the playoffs with them, and then Washington swept us. So uh, the regular season can be a little bit of an indicator but it's not always the biggest indicator uh even though detroit's taken three games from the toronto raptors this year i just don't i think that detroit will be heavily overmatched uh in a series but their physical style play might run toronto down a little bit more yeah i totally agree um kind of lastly here paul george made a couple comments that shouldn't mean anything to a normal person but to those who follow the raptors closely as you and i do they might have some insight. Do you think that what Paul George said means anything in, you know, where's your stance kind of just on where Kawhi's at and where you think the Raptors' chances are at re-signing him? Well, I I think, I don't don't think it means nothing, but I don't think it's a massive deal. I mean, look, it could have just been a conversation in passing or it could have been an in-depth conversation. To what extent they went, uh, we don't know. But Um, The fact that it was a conversation has to mean something in just in that merit. Uh, I think that Paul George has basically just said what uh, he had said to everyone else in the media before he re-signed with OKC. Just look, give your organization that traded for you a chance to um, show that they're going to do whatever it takes to A, keep you and uh, and B, build around you. And I think that Toronto has done a great job with listening to Kawhi Leonard and listening to his body and listening to his wants and desires. So I think Paul George is almost just trying to tell Kawhi, look, don't don't make that an insignificant point. It is significant. And uh, maybe before you head off to L.A., just examine that quickly. Um, I don't I don't think that he said definitively one way or another what to do, because I don't think that Paul George would ever be that type of guy to tell another NBA player what to do, nor I don't think anyone else would, unless you're LeBron James. But um, I think that it's it, it has some merit to the conversation. Uh, I, I think that, if anything, it just benefited us. I don't think it could have hindered us. Uh, so I, I'll, say, I'll say that there. But until we know what the actual conversation was, which we'll probably never know, it's kind of hard to say, but that would be my two cents on it. Yeah, I I agree with you, and this idea that because Paul George stayed now the superstar that gets traded to a team with one year left, 
is so much more likely to stay is a little bit of an kind of an overblown statement in my mind. Just because one guy really liked the situation he was in doesn't mean that everybody's going to do that. But more just to the point of everything that you read from Kawhi Leonard and everything that you see kind of around Kawhi Leonard, my biggest takeaway is that Toronto's done everything right here. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you do everything right and you still don't get the player. I'm not saying that means that Toronto will necessarily get him. What I'm saying is that Toronto gave themselves the best chance, and if he chooses to go play in L.A. or wants to go play closer to where he lived or play somewhere warm, then that's fine. He has every right to do that. He Toronto came into this situation knowing full well the ramifications of the deal, but Toronto has done everything in their power to make him stay, and if he doesn't stay, you know, that's all right, but you at least know that you did everything right on your end. Amen. I mean, it's it's a good look for the Raptors, especially in one where at the beginning of this uh, era of Kawhi Leonard, everyone was saying, wow, how could the Raptors do DeMar DeRozan dirty like that? But in the same breath, they've done incredibly well by Kawhi Leonard because they've done everything that they can on their end to show that they're very serious about him, they're serious about his health, and they're serious about their future moving forward. As a Raptors fan, this is all that you can ask for from your uh from your coaching staff in your front office to say, look, you guys have done everything that you can. And if Kawhi Leonard doesn't want to stay here at the end of the day, you know what? I know it wouldn't be hard feelings because he doesn't owe the Raptors anything. The Raptors traded for him, like you said, knowing full well what his contract situation is. It's not like they traded for him and said, oh, you only have a year left? What? This is a surprise to us. Like This is, this is not new information. So for the Raptors, I, I think that they're putting themselves in the best position. And like what Masai said in an interview a couple weeks ago, it's much better to have a year to sell a player on a city and a team than it is an hour. Uh, and the Raptors are doing everything that they can at this rate to keep Kawhi Leonard. And every day and every time I hear something positive come from Kawhi about the, the coaching staff and the medical staff, I get more and more excited of the, pro- of the potential of Kawhi Leonard resigning here. But in the same breath, um, I won't be upset if Kawhi Leonard decides to go back home, uh, he doesn't owe anything to the organization. So uh, if that does happen and he leaves for another team and then he comes back into Scotiabank Arena, all I can hope for is that the Toronto Raptors fans give him a standing ovation. But I'm, I'm of the firm belief that he will actually stay. I think it's a higher percentage chance now that he stays than goes to the Clippers. And I don't know if that's me just with blind faith, but... From what I've seen, uh, I think that it's more and more likely as each day progresses, barring an epic collapse in the playoffs, that Kawhi Leonard stays with the Toronto Raptors. Well, that's the thing that, to me, hasn't been talked about enough, is that it's going to be highly dependent on how they perform this postseason. And it's kind of similar to the Kyrie Irving situation, where this whole Eastern Conference and who decides to stay along with the 76ers it's all dependent on who has success in the playoffs. And if you make the Eastern Conference Finals, or if, you know, even better, you make the NBA Finals, your chances of keeping him are obviously significantly raised as if you peter out in the second round. Yeah. So that, to me, is kind of the most interesting part in what makes these playoffs so important, is that, yeah, it's going to be tough to win the NBA Finals with the Golden State Warriors there, but how well you do in this playoffs really is important for how successful your team's going to be over the next five years, not just this season. Yeah, the the, playoff, the playoffs are sort of everything for the Toronto Raptors. If they have a Cleveland Cavaliers choke of last year, 
it's going to be very hard to convince Kawhi Leonard to stay, regardless of how many Pascal Siakams you have on your team. Uh, it's not really going to matter at that point. In the in that same breath, if, if Kawhi Leonard takes a look around and sees the rest of the NBA landscape, I don't think that there's really any other team out there that has the cap space and the desire for Kawhi Leonard that's a more attractive team than the Toronto Raptors. So, um, But I think that the Toronto Raptors have to put together a impressive run. Maybe, I, I always said that I th- thought that they'd have to make the finals, but if they have a very competitive Eastern Conference Finals and lose in like a six or in like a seven game series, I think that that might just be enough to keep them around. But um, we'll see. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I, I don't know what's going on in Kawhi Leonard's head. He might have already made a decision one way or another. He might already be coming back, even if they lose in the first round, or, or maybe he's not coming back if they win the NBA title. I don't know. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting storyline. One that's been talked about all year already and one that we'll continue to talk about all the way up until July. So um, I'm excited. Uh, I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited, regardless of the results of the postseason, to see what happens with the future of the Toronto Raptors in Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I totally agree. And it will definitely be exciting as we watch the final stretch here. Um, lastly, Connor, is there anything that you want to plug or that people should be listening for you or following you at? Yeah, uh, you can. I, I just started up a uh, relatively new podcast called the TSV Podcast. Uh, one of my episodes, I have the man himself, Mike Bossetti, uh, on. We were talking about some Raptor stuff, so you can you can take a look at that. Uh, I'm I'm available wherever you get any type of major podcast platforms: uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that fun stuff. So you can find me anywhere there. Uh, if you like what you hear, just uh, leave a like, subscribe, um, five-star review, all that good stuff. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter as well, at T-O underscore sportsviews. And you can take a look at the website, torontosportsviews.com. All right, Connor, thank you so much. And thank you very much. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life, and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply.